0: Father, we thank you that indeed you are the God of the ages, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who holds time and eternity. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word today, your word which is sure. And we thank you, Father, that we have the promises that you have given to us. And Lord, as we pray, as we come to your word, that you would bless the word, the hearing, the receiving, and the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts, that we would not only hear your word, but be doers. Lord, you know within the congregation there are physical needs that we continue to pray for. There are those who have lost loved ones recently. We would pray for them and uh, their comfort to be in you. Others are making decisions. Others are pressing on in different areas. And Lord, we don't know what burdens someone else may be carrying, but thank you. That we can bring all of our burdens all of our cares to you and we thank you that you are there we thank you that you are god who hears us and indeed a god who answers we thank you for the year 2023 which we've just left and we thank you for the opportunities which are before us in this coming year in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen we come to our text this morning in joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, we've entitled this, You Have Not Passed This Way Before. I'm going to be reading the first six verses of Joshua 3. And it begins with the word and in the Hebrew, so I'm going to start off with that. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from the grove, and came to the Jordan River. And he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Do not come near to the ark, that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this manner before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the Lord. In verse 4 again, Do not come near the Ark, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. At this point in the biblical history of the children of Israel, they've been redeemed from the land of bondage, from Egypt. Uh, They've wandered for some 40 years in unbelief in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 29 tells us that during those 40 years, their clothes and shoes never wore out. That's amazing. They always had bread and manna to eat, And after 40 years of leadership, Moses has passed away and Joshua is now his successor. They come to the place in their experience where God is saying, it's time for a change. It's time to move forward. It's time for you to enter into my purposes. It's time for you to take the land that I have promised. You'll no longer eat manna. You'll eat the good food of the land. But there will be battles to fight. But I will be with you. I will be your victory. And you will have to engage the enemy and take the land. Earlier in the book of Joshua, the Lord has uh, reaffirmed to Joshua these very promises. In the first three verses of chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, "'Moses, my servant, is dead. "'Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan River, "'you and all the people, to the land "'which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. "'And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, "'I have given you, as I said to Moses. "'No man shall be able to stand before you "'all the days of your life. "'As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. "'Be strong and of good courage, For this people will divide this new land as an inheritance, as I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to my law. So God has reassured Joshua before they move into the land in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Joshua sends spies into the land of Jericho to see exactly what's happening there. The spies come back with a very favorable report, a positive report. And so Joshua is not going out on blind faith. It's not a leap of faith, but it's moving ahead in faith, according to God's word, according to his promises. Much like what Jesus said to us over in John 10, he putteth forth his sheep, and he goes before them. The good shepherd puts his sheep out forth. He calls them by name, and he leads them, and he goes before them. And so we ask the question from chapter 3 in our text, is it a severe testing of faith or a glorious opportunity to prove once more the sufficiency of God? Is it a test of faith or an opportunity to prove the sufficiency of God, the God who never fails, the God who offers abounding graces? There are no new promises in the Word of God as we enter a new year. The promises are there. He's made them already. It's for us to claim and to take that new land. There are wonderful promises. Joshua had wonderful promises in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that call for obedience, but they also call for human responsibility. Chapter 3 begins with the Hebrew word and and connects with chapter 2 that begins with the word and. Let's remember the chapters and verses were not put into the Bible until around the year 1200. It was easier to find the text. However, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 2, and Joshua chapter 3 all hang together as one chapter. They hold together both as the promises of God, the call to obedience, and the obstacles that are listed for us. So let's keep this in mind as we approach the test. There's promises, there's obedience. There are obstacles. We read here in chapter 315 that the Jordan River was at flood stage and the children of Israel were called to go down to the river for three days and look at the river at flood stage. If you remember three is a number in the Bible that often speaks of resurrection. So we're going to see a resurrection miracle here. The men, the women, the children with all their earthly belongings and their herds are taken down to the the river. They camped there for three days. Three days they look at the river at flood stage. No bridges, no boats, but God's promise. God has promised in chapter 1, verse 11, that he's going to see them over to the other side in three days. So they looked at the obstacle for three days. It was springtime, the barley season time, the waters of Jordan were at their height, Uh, Pouring down from the mountain, the river was raging at its high point, about a mile wide, impossible for them to cross. But God has given his promises. He's commanded obedience, and now the Israelites have three days to look at the obstacles. So you've got the promises, you've got the commands, and now you're looking at the obstacles, the flooded Jordan. So that they might know that it's not by might, nor by power, But by his spirit, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. The Jordan River is a symbol of self-death, death to self, and shows us complete and utter dependency that we must have upon him. And so I'm suggesting that we don't close our eyes to the obstacles, but we look at the obstacles God has placed in front of us. But we also ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our eyes to see what only he can do. And that's the miracle of Christianity. The new birth, the fullness of the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit. They're miracles that he puts before us. So we need to open our eyes and open our hearts to see what only he can do. And sometimes, you know, things actually get worse before they get better. It's just a preparation for a greater manifestation of God's glory. Remember, we only see a fraction of what God is doing. Only a fraction of what He's doing in our lives, in the local church and in the world. But God is doing so many things. So it's more than just our story. It's not just all about us. It's about God and His glory. It's heaven's story for His glory, for His glory. So why not wait till the uh, Jordan River is down? Why not wait till it's maybe three or four feet deep and 30 foot wide? I think the reason is because they might have thought they got a cross on their own, that they did it by themselves, by their own ingenuity. So God says, take a good look at the problem. Just look at the obstacles. You can't do it. We're sometimes like little Jack Horner, I think, who's eating his Christmas pie. We can stick in our thumb and pull out a plum and say, what a clever guy am I. Look how we solved this problem. Look how we took care of this. But when the waters part, God will get all the glory. So the first instruction is, set your eyes on the ark. The ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 25, God instructed Moses to make an ark. It was a rather simple chest, about 45 inches long, 27 inches high, 27 inches tall, overlaid with gold with the cherubim, two cherubims on the lid, called the mercy seat. It was a place where God manifested himself, where God made himself known. So the ark represents the presence of God among his people. The ark is an archetype of Christ, the obedient one who kept the law. The law was kept inside the ark. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly, and then he is our mercy seat, the merciful one who forgives sins and is the manifest presence of God among us. So let's look at those instructions once again in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, you shall set out from the place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. Do not come near it, that you may know the manner by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. You'll know the manner, you'll know the way. That word is Derek in the uh, Hebrew. It means the manner. It's a different way. You're going to be going a different way. Up to this time, the children of Israel have been led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Now they're going to be led by the ark and the presence of the ark. They were to keep about 2,000 cubits away about a half mile that's quite a distance why such a distance from the ark it was extremely important that every eye could see the ark if they crowded in too close not everybody could see it we're talking about maybe 3 million people at this point who were going to cross over and they were to follow the ark wherever the ark went because the ark represented the presence of God the distance made it visible to everyone But the distance also reminded them that the ark was a special uh, object of God, that they would have the presence of God. When God appeared to them on Mount Sinai, he warned the people about coming too close. You see, we can't treat God too casually, come into his presence too quickly. He was going to discipline his children if they did. He's a holy God, and manners pertaining to worship in his kingdom must be treated with utmost reverence. We have a generation today that I think many of whom don't understand that side of God. There's a casualness, a presumption, an entitlement that's not spiritually healthy. Yes, everything we receive, we receive because of God's grace, because of his goodness, because of his love. He invites us to come to a throne of grace as a child of God, but we must never lose reverence. Reverence coming into his presence, realizing who he is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The word of God tells us that we need to have a holy fear, a holy reverence, for this is the beginning of wisdom. Over and over, God taught Israel to respect his holiness and his glory, even while enjoying his goodness and his mercy. Those who know him best revere him the most. So down in verse 4, it says, Heretofore, informing the Israelites that they're going to be led in a different fashion right now. They're going to be led by the ark, no longer by the cloud. But they were going to be led continuously for the glory of his name. And they were to keep their eyes on the movement of God, God's presence that's followed. That was their source of guidance. That was to be their source of wisdom. Simply follow the Lord. Our response today to this might be, we'd sit at the river, we'd form a building committee, we'd create a building fund, we'd do a feasibility study, and we'd start to build a bridge. We've got to solve the problem somehow. God's command was, watch the ark. Keep your eye on Jesus. Keep your eye on him. If there's one thing you take home from this message, nothing in life matters, except doing the will of God. Nothing in life matters except doing the will of God. Later on, Israel's going to learn an important lesson about the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It represents the presence of God. But it's not a charm that we can manipulate. We can't manipulate God. In the days of Eli, his sons were ungodly, though they were spiritual leaders. They held the position of spiritual leaders but they lived lives of sinful men. They had little command of the word of God. When they got into battle against the Philistines over in 1 Samuel, they were defeated because of their unfaithfulness to God. They thought they could solve the problem by the ark. They took the ark into battle with them. The Philistines captured the ark. And now the Philistines thought they had this wonderful good luck charm from Israel as well. And so the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant into their temple, along with their their god, Dagon. And they set up the Ark of the Covenant. When they came back the next morning, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and Dagon was down on his face, that idol. They thought, well, I guess that was accidental. Maybe we just shook up the place a little bit too much. So they set Dagon back up again. Come back in the next morning, the Ark of the Covenant still there. Dagon's on his face; his head is broken off, his arms are broken off. They learned a lesson about the presence of God. And then a plague broke out, and the Philistines were all too glad to return the Ark to Israel. God's presence is nothing to be trifled with. When we really get in the presence of God, we need to stand at attention. And do exactly what he tells us to do. Israel has got to set their eyes on the ark and follow the presence of God. So watch the ark. The second instruction was in verse five. And Joshua said to the people, "Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. Something, something special is going to be done by God. Something wonderful." something he has never done before, he's going to move in a wonderful, powerful way, and we need to prepare ourselves. Will we do the preparation that God requires? God invited all of Israel to go into the promised land 40 years previously. Only two men kept that promise. Only two men were obedient. Joshua and Caleb met that requirement. The fact that the others didn't go in didn't keep Joshua and Caleb out. So sanctify yourselves has two sides. The first time we find the word sanctify is over in the book of Genesis. Genesis 2, verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. What does that mean? God has a special purpose for the Sabbath and he set it apart for himself. So sanctification is to be separated from and separated unto. Separated from the things of the world, separated unto God and His purposes. In the Old Testament, it was more ceremonial and external. In the New Testament, it's more moral and internal. And so I would ask us this morning as a church, are we ready for what God will do in our lives individually and in our lives as a church? The wonder-working power of God depends upon sanctified, clean, dedicated, individuals. We long to see the Jordan part. We long to see the fir grow instead of the thorn or the desert bloom like a rose. The readiness is primarily about our spiritual condition as we enter a new calendar year and a new time here at the church. Separate yourselves from evil. Consecrate yourselves to God. We read over in Second Corinthians 1. Therefore, having these promises beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there's a divine side, and there's a human side of what's going on. We can't do the divine side, but God requires us to do the human side, cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. We all know 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name things shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways so they're seeking God there's humbling ourselves and turning from our wicked ways put away the attitudes and activities that grieve the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is seen in the Bible as a dove a dove that repels corruption Later in the book of Joshua, just a few chapters on, we see Israel consecrated themselves further before going into battle. After they crossed over the Jordan, instead of immediately attacking Jericho, which I think I would have done, they circumcised all the men in obedience and consecration. It naturally weakened the army, didn't it? The natural thing would be to shy away from that. but circumcision is a a sign of, cleansing ourselves, and God defeated Jericho for them after they sanctified themselves. In the natural, it was a foolish thing to do. It made them vulnerable to attack at that particular time. But it was an act of faith, an act of obedience, and God provided the protection. Sometimes we hear the expression, let go and let God. I'd like to suggest we hold on and do our part and let God do his part. It isn't the victory that we need. It's the victor. We need to know him in his fullness. So sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. An event was about to happen in the lives of the children of Israel that would change everything in one day. The Jordan would dry up. They would cross over. And life would never be the same. The key preparation is always a relationship with God. So we've seen two preparations for the coming event. Set your eyes on the ark, which represents the presence of God. Sanctify yourselves, which involves separating ourselves from anything displeasing to the Lord. Consecrating ourselves to the Lord. You see, God is not looking for new methods. He's looking for new men. He's not looking for clever people, but clean vessels. He's not searching for human strength, but holy people. And the third illustration is, step into the water. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest, who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the water of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand in a heap. God would do wonders among them, but they must act obediently and in faith. Everyone could have prayed. and Prayer is good and prayer is important, and I'm glad that there will be an emphasis here in this church this coming year. Everyone could have sought the face of God. Everyone could have sanctified themselves. But if nobody stepped into the water, nothing would have happened. There are times of preparation, and there are times when it comes to act in faith. It's not a leap of faith because they had the promises of God, but it's an action grounded on the plan and promises of God coupled with the faith and obedience of his people. Imagine the drama of the moment. They've watched the Jordan for three days, a great obstacle. The priests are about to put their feet into the river Jordan. What if nothing happened? Have we been hearing God right? Or is this just wishful thinking? The river's a mile wide. The muddy waters are running rapidly toward the Dead Sea. The priests are carrying the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And they step into the water as ordered. And nothing happens. And then the change occurs. 18 miles up, up the river. 18 miles, the water is beginning to heap up. The water stops the flow. The depth diminish. The waters are drying up, and the priests make their way to the middle of the river as the Jordan dries up. The priests stand their ground as three million people cross over on dry ground. You see, you can't walk on water without getting your feet wet. Sometimes we're afraid of getting our feet wet. Peter got his feet wet. And as long as he looked at Jesus, he was fine. He took his eyes off Jesus and he got a little bit more than his feet wet. The priests were the first to enter. And I call that the opportunity zone. We have opportunities in our personal lives and in our life as a church. It's an opportunity zone, 2024. Will we take the promises of God? Will we act in obedience? Will we step into water? So here the priests are in the middle of the river. But I wonder if they're thinking, what if 18 miles up the river, <laughs> that dam breaks. <laughs> what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to the ark? But they believe God for a miracle. And so if we believe God, we have to persevere. Once we get our feet in the water, we keep, keep our feet there. We persevere. We stand our ground until the task is fully done. We don't break rank. We finish We finish well. There's a difference between this generation of Israelites and the former generation. They had the same decision to make 40 years previously. The enemies of God were still there in the land. The giants were still there. The walled cities and fortified forts were still there. The raging Jordan was still there. All the same reasons for turning back that the first generation had. But this generation had a different spirit. They were willing to move forward in obedience to God. They were willing to fight the giants. They were willing to step into the water. They were willing to leave the familiar and the comfortable and step out in God. Crossing the Jordan meant they were committed to a new task. There was no going back. We begin a new calendar year and perhaps even a new season at Calvary. It's a time of transition. It's a time of new doors, new opportunities, but oh, not without battles, but with awesome victories for those who will step out and believe God. It's a new season with new challenges, but also new opportunities. We have to do the preparation. We need to come as sanctified individuals, keeping our eyes on the Lord and do whatever he tells us to do both in our individual lives and in our corporate life. It's important to note here that only the leader, Joshua, received direct promises and instruction to which he, in turn, passed along to the people. Preparing for a new year and new opportunities and new seasons of life can be foreboding. It can be frightening. But it can be a year in which we see God do wonders. And that's what Joshua tells us here. Stand and watch God do wonders. Separate yourself from sin. Be sure you're right with God. Perhaps it's a sin which is not seen by others, but appalling to a holy God. I think of an unloving spirit, harsh judgment of others, feeling easily hurt or offended, eagerness to vindicate ourselves, jealous over the success of another, It's these kinds of things that act as barriers to God's blessing, both personally and corporately. We can't face the future while focusing on the past. Some have trouble moving on. Some have trouble moving ahead because of unconfessed sin, unresolved conflicts, past accomplishments or failures that keep us from responding in faith. But if we're following Christ... God has a plan for us as individuals and God has a plan for this church. God had a purpose for the land to which he was taking his people, the promised land. What was that promise? A little baby would be born and laid in a manger in Bethlehem in the promised land. The son of God, Jesus Christ, would give his life on the cross of Calvary in the promised land. A hundred and people, 120 people in the upper room would experience the coming of the Holy Spirit in the promised land. God had his purposes. Undoubtedly, 2024 will be a year in which we have not passed this way before. It will be a time in which we, as a church, will rejoice with those who rejoice. We will weep with those who weep. We will come along one another to encourage and to bless And it is important that we gather together. Hebrews 10 reminds us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the purpose of that is for worship, but also to exhort and to encourage one another. So Joshua said, prepare yourselves, sanctify yourselves, watch the ark, and the Lord will do wonders among you. Are you looking forward to the wonders that God has for you individually and for us as a church this coming year? Keep your eye on the ark, sanctify yourselves, and be ready to step into the water that God has prepared for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the time that we've been able to spend around your word. We thank you for, Lord, what we call a new year. It's not new to you. You've already gone before. You know what the the next year is going to be about. You have it all in your hands and in your control. I pray that we would be a people as individuals and as a church who would keep our eye, fix our eyes, our gaze upon Jesus Christ, not upon one another, this one and that one, and what they're doing or not doing, but our focus would simply be upon you and your word and your promises. And then, Lord, that we would be obedient to your commands And when we see the obstacles that we know you've already gone before, that we'd be willing to step into the waters that you have prepared for us, that this might be a year of personal, individual growth, but also corporate growth. And so we thank you, Father, for this portion of your word that reminds us what you did with your people thousands of years ago, and that you are the same yesterday, today, today, And for all of eternity, we look forward to the wonders that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.